Welcome back. Um, so um, we'll start with uh, questions um, on the back of the morning lecture. So questions. Any questions? No. Okay, Alex. Um, which, uh, uh, the way I studied the Bretton Woods system was more or less a success. Um, if World War Two, well, World War One destroyed the classical gold standard, World War Two destroyed the interwar gold standard, and the Bretton Woods system, I would say, is at least some kind of uh, some form of progress post World War Two. Would you somewhat would you agree or disagree with that claim? Well, that Bretton Woods was was a relative success after World War Two. Bretton, Bretton Woods was a modified gold standard, very restrictive, but it was still a gold standard in the sense that gold was the basis of money and credit internationally. And uh, it had lots of problems, but the fact is that it was a gold-related standard, and it was not until 1971 when it was, uh, the gold standard was completely abolished. So it, I would say it was superior to what happened afterwards. And if you look at any chart, price chart, interest rate chart, wage chart, anything, or even the misery index in the US, uh, some of the presidential candidates introduced various misery indices which uh, uh, show how bad the effect of the monetary system was on individuals, then you can say that the Bretton Woods system was superior to anything what happened afterwards because the charts took off 1971 and it became an uncontrollable thing like an avalanche which is rushing right down to the valley and will destroy anything in its way and the village is down there in the valley. So in this sense I don't want to sing high praise of the Bretton Woods but it was superior to what happened afterwards and it could have been saved. As a matter of fact there, there was some talk at the time that uh, President Nixon had a choice. He could, could have done what he did after all, namely completely abandoned gold, or he could have revalued gold, meaning that the gold price could have been doubled, say from 35 dollars an ounce to seventy dollars. There was some talk about that. And uh, of course th that's still very, very inadequate because 
uh, it's not a real gold standard which periodically has to raise the gold price. The <coughs> merit of the gold standard is that the gold price is <coughs> fixed, is not subject to change. But probably it would have bought some time that people could get together and really study the problem and can come up with a, a final solution. But we don't know. This is just second-guessing history. But I, I, I'm inclined to say that the Bretton Woods system, so long as it lasted, was a better system than what, what we have now. You can't keep on revaluing gold, though, ultimately. But. Um, any more um, any more questions? No more questions at the moment. All right. Uh, then uh, I'm going to comment on this. This is page 41 on the Bernanke presentation. It says the Fed's tight monetary policy led to sharply falling prices and steep declines in output and employment. In other words, he is critical not of his own Fed, but of the Fed as it was in the 1930s, early 1930s, before the inauguration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt as President of the United States. He was inaugurated in the month of March 1933. Before that uh, time, he, Bernanke, claims that the Fed had the completely wrong monetary policy which helped uh, the deflationary forces in society and led to the Great Depression. I'm just interpreting him and then I will have my own comments at the end. So I continue reading. The effects of policy errors here and abroad were transmitted globally through the gold standard. So here's the whipping boy again, the gold standard, you see. The Fed made a bad policy, but its effects spread all over the world because of the operation of the gold standard. The Fed kept money tight. That's the boogeyman, tight money. You know, money should be loose, not tight in, in his, according to his Bible. In part, <coughs> The Fed kept money tight in part because it wanted to preserve the gold standard. Here we go again. You see, the Fed had to preserve the gold standard. Gosh, it's the Constitution which wants to preserve. You know, the Constitution can be changed, but there are certain steps involved. And they would never bother to go through those steps because they would involve a public debate on the merits of the gold standard and so on. But 
in his mind, Bernanke's mind, it's just a matter to pass the judgment that the gold standard is bad, it has to be abandoned, as simple as that. And then he says when FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, abandoned the gold standard in 1933, monetary policy became less tight. Easy money. And deflation stopped. That is just the opposite of the truth, what you see here, complete opposite. And I want to explain this to you uh, during the remaining time. And I think well, I want to leave a little bit of time after to have your feedback. So the history is that Roosevelt was inaugurated early in March 1933, say March, I think it was the 5th, 4th or 5th. And within two or three days, he issued an executive proclamation, which, excuse me, put an end to the gold standard. He, uh, and confiscated gold held by the citizens. It's an, really an incredible act. It goes straight against the Constitution. A wholesale confiscation. You know, uh, now you might say, oh, but he gave uh, paper money in exchange which could be spent and uh, prices were still the same. <laughs> well, you see, the thing is this. The paper money, which he gave, these were Federal Reserve notes, these were subject to change, and they were, because within a year he marked up the value of gold from $20 an ounce, which was the official gold price at the time he was inaugurated. He marked it up to 35 And the citizens surrendered the gold that was safely locked up in the treasury. And all the profit from marking up the gold price went to the pockets of the government. You know, I mean, it's, it's as devious as it can be. So, this is the famous gold policy of Roosevelt, which is getting high praise nowadays in textbooks, economic textbooks on economic courses, at various universities and papers, scholarly papers written on the subject. But now I am going to reveal the real truth. And in fact, I will go all the way and charge the Roosevelt Gold confiscation as one of the real causes of the Great Depression of the 1930s. 
And this is what happened. And the careful analysis of Roosevelt's gold policies showed this. I don't think I'm prejudiced on that. This is factual, this impartial, you can just study it on its own merit without expressing any opinion on this. The gold policies of Roosevelt were one of the major causes of the Great Depression. And the reason is this, just one short sentence. Gold was the only competition to government bonds. The way you should look at it is this. Nowadays there's a, a favorable phrase, uh, risk, risk, uh, appetite for, appetite for risk, right? This is a favorite catchword today. People, the the uh, newspaper reports say the appetite for risk has changed for the worse or the better. Well, all right. So let's accept this for the sake of argument, this appetite for risk. Now you can classify people. People with a huge appetite for risk would go to the casino and gamble. And then there are Others who would gamble in the future markets for, for bonds or interest rate derivatives. And then there are stock market gamblers. There are those who are more conservative, whose risk for appetite, for, whose appetite for risk is rather small. And at the end, the, at this end of the spectrum, there are the most conservative investors. And the most conservative investors have gold. There's no two ways about it. That's a fact we have to accept. Now, Roosevelt comes and confiscates gold. What effect does this act have? on the uh, structure, uh, investment horizon of various people. Uh, the most conservative investors are forced out of gold. So where will they go? Well, they will go into, into government bonds. Because that's the next safest investment as far. I mean, I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about 1933. Gold has been removed by the strong arm of the government. It was confiscated. It's beyond the pale. So what will the most conservative investors do? They will flock into the treasury bond market. That's so far so good, but let's not forget there are speculators around. And the speculators will immediately see what the consequence of that is. 
The consequence of that is that the demand for government bonds is going to explode from one day to the next. Because the most conservative investors, perhaps they take a few days to think about what to do and where to go, but very shortly will flock into the treasury bond market. So the speculators will want to preempt them. They want to buy the bonds first. Because then they can just feed the bonds to the conservative investors afterwards. So in other words, an avalanche has started by the act of Roosevelt confiscating gold, which resulted in increasing bond prices. And the sky was the limit, literally. The sky is the limit, because you can bid up bond prices to any height, which in terms of the rate of interest, on the other hand, means that the rate of interest goes lower and lower and lower. And don't think for a moment that zero is a limit, because the interest is the way to think about this is that the interest gets halved, the rate of interest gets halved, and gets halved again, and halved again. And no matter how many times you cut the rate of interest into half, you still have a positive rate, which you can keep halving. So zero is not a limit, because there are infinitely many uh, possibilities to to have the rate of interest. And therefore, as I say, there is an avalanche which shows, which can be measured in terms of falling interest rate structure. And this is what Roosevelt did. He started, you know, the avalanche could start with something as small as a snowball and then you let it roll downhill and then get it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and ultimately it could be so big that it would destroy a whole village down in the valley. Now I'm not an expert on avalanches but obviously you can do your own research and find that that avalanches could start in an insignificant way until they assume this irresistible force, very devastating. And that's exactly what happened. And it was intentional, it was not an accident. Roosevelt had this calculated policy. Just a few days after his inauguration he confiscated gold, stopped exporting gold, and the consequences followed. The falling interest rate structure. An un unprecedented, historically unprecedented act. I mean, there were lots of uh, historical precedence for 
gold being outlawed or this or that, but that confiscate all the gold holdings of citizens of a large, important country is truly unprecedented. And to pretend that it has no damaging consequences is absolute lunacy because it does have consequences and among these consequences there are several of them but I am emphasizing the one that the most conservative investors were simply herded into government bonds and the speculators were smart enough to anticipate this and they preempted the savers, those who were forced out of gold and into government bonds, and there was a rush, there was a race buying government bonds, which meant increasing bond prices, which meant collapsing interest rates. And uh, we have already talked a little bit about that, and we are going to talk more about it, that collapsing interest rates, they are very destructive. They d destroy capital and labor opportunities. <laughs> and it's, uh, it, literally, it's the cause of depression if you have uh, prolonged decline in interest rates is extremely damaging. Let's just review some of the uh, uh, reasons why this is so. Uh, why is it true that if the interest rate is falling, this is not beneficial to society? It's very, very destructive. Why? Just there are several reasons. Let's just re look at some of them. Can anyone think of any or, or any mechanism why falling interest rates would be damaging, damaging to society? Well, increase this. Uh, you know, if, if somebody has already borrowed and you've made a, a capital investment, and then someone else can come along and borrow at a less rate, lower rate, that. That's then, yeah, basically puts them out of business. Did you, did you hear this? Yeah, okay, let's focus this a little bit more sharply. Uh, falling interest rate means rising bond price, but the bond price has two sides. There are borrowers and there are lenders. So from the point of view of the borrowers, a higher bond price is devastating because that means they owe that much more for no good reason just because President Roosevelt signed a proclamation all of a sudden their debt burden increased revolting and that's what happened that's what happened now Rudy you pointed out something uh, several meetings ago that from the point of view of competition it's very damaging well if you have a, if you want to set up a, a, if you set up a business and you borrow capital 
and uh, the rates go down and keep going down, then the guy next door opens a new business competing with my business and borrows capital at a lower rate and puts me out of business. And then if the rates keep going down further, this happens over and over again. And it doesn't stop until interest rates level off. And if they're low and steady, that's fine. But as long as they're dropping, it's capital destruction. Uh, and right. the other thing is, people think that, well, another company took over, so what? Well, that's not as simple as that. A real-world business has a, a whole milieu of support industry. My, my company was building machinery. And when um, manufacturing of machine, uh, uh, machine tools was going down and down and down, all support industries collapsed. The suppliers of bolts, hydraulic pumps, motors, all of them together, and it's very difficult to re-establish it. And in fact, at that point, they were established in China. And the machines we used to build in Canada are built in China now, or in, or in India, or in Turkey. And, and it's not a question of labor cost either, because people say, well, it's cheap labor. But if cheap labor drove this, um, Haiti would be the, the, the center of the world. They would do everything, because they got the cheapest labor. So this is silly. Mm. In fact, uh, Germany has the highest labor cost per hour, I think, in, in Europe, maybe in the world, but the lowest cost of production, because there's still a lot of capital in here. So it, it's the capital destruction that, that underlies this form of interest rate. It destroys invested capital, and it ain't coming back. Mm. Yeah, very good. So uh, we are convinced that the uh, Falling interest rate structure is very damaging and destroys capital and creates uh, unemployment and all kinds of miseries in society and ultimately it may cause breakdown law and order. All right, now here's the point. Assume that Roosevelt did not remove gold coins from circulation. Uh, perhaps it's not widely known, but gold coins were still in circulation, at least in a limited way, in 1933, before Roosevelt confiscated them. So let's assume for the sake of argument that gold coins were still in circulation. How would this make the picture different? How would this cure the problem? Namely, the problem of deflation and capital destruction and unemployment and all that. This is the thing. And please pay close attention because this is at the very heart of our message, what I'm going to say just now. So assume that gold coins are still in circulation and interest rates drop. What happens? Well, what happens is that the marginal bond holder is going to say, enough is enough. My, the value of my gold bond has gone up. In my opinion, it has gone up too far. Interest rates are too low. The return on gold, gold bond investment is too low. So I'm going to sell 
my bond. That's what the marginal bondholder does when interest, rate, interest rates fall. Now as he does this, and more and more of them will do, if the interest rate keeps falling, then at one point the bond price will stop rising and then it might just come back and that's a foregone conclusion this uh, is not an opinion this is the hard fact that as the marginal bondholders are s selling their bonds the bond price stops rising and interest rates go up and at one point the marginal bondholder will buy his bond back and he makes a profit on this you see because he buys it back at a lower price than he sold and the interest rate will find its level where everybody can live with it including pension funds and insurance companies and uh, retired people and everybody uh, investors entrepreneurs so there is such a level for the interest rate which is beneficial for the whole society but this open-endedness that the bomb price could go sky high and interest rate could just keep falling forever is eliminated and why is it eliminated because of the presence of the gold coin so I, I want you to understand this and take this idea with you from this session of the New Austrian School of Economics here in Munich in the spring of 2012 because this is one of the great ideas which explain gold the gold coins are not important because they are shiny and beautiful and they are clinking they have a nice ring when you drop them much nicer than if you drop a copper or a nickel or any other coin and that's all true gold has all these fine properties conductive uh, conductivity of electricity and uh, lots of others you know there are books which list these properties of gold but from the economic point of view these are all minor points minor advantages of the gold coin surely they are beautiful and nice to look at the work of art and, but the gold coin is important because it controls the rate of interest and it's through the action of the marginal bondholder who is not going to allow interest rates to fall into a bottomless pit they are going to stop that and they have the means, the ways and means to stop that. You see, we keep talking about time preference. 
as Mises described time preference, I often use this phrase, and I'm, I'm not trying to demean Mises, he's a very great economist, but time preference looks like a pious wish. Just a short prayer. Oh, I wish that interest rate would be such and such, you know. But time preference has to have teeth. And the teeth of time preference is made of gold. <laughs> it's made of gold. There's no two ways about it. And if time preference doesn't have teeth, then it's a toothless tiger. <laughs> and everybody's laughing at it, a toothless tiger, and teasing it, and so on. And it has no way, the toothless tiger, to revenge the mocking crowds. But give it teeth the gold coin in circulation, and it has to be, ladies and gentlemen, coin. Ricardo's bullion standard, where the smallest unit of gold which you can withdraw from the bank is 400 ounces, or 12 and a half kilograms, cannot do this because the bond you want to sell, I mean, we are talking about people of ordinary means, small means, widows and orphans who have to protect their own financial uh, future. I mean, it's, not, it's uh, no help to them if they have the right to withdraw 400 ounce gold bars from the Bank of England. That is not going to help them. They have to have the gold coin. And then they can sell their bond and hang on to their coin until the bond price comes back, at which time they go back into the bond market and repurchase their bond at a profit. And that's why the banks and the government is not going to go on ventures of pushing interest rate down, because they know that the marginal bondholders, widows and orphans among them, can fight back, and they have teeth, because the gold coin will make it possible for them to regulate the rate of interest. So I, as I said, I wanted to give you a chance to comment on, on these points, and I think this is complete trash. It's utter nonsense what he's talking about. The, uh, the Fed's tight, so-called tight monetary policy is a complete lie. You can go back to the statistics and see that the Fed started easy money long, long before Roosevelt confiscated gold. And there was an inflation, and in fact, that uh, picture, uh, remember the Roaring Twenties? I... Ah, here, you see, why did 
we have roaring twenties in between 1920 and 1929. Because of the easy money policy of the Fed, and there was such a thing as the Florida uh, boom. Uh, property. Property boom. And there was um, the artificial, um, you know, the Fed tried to bail out the Bank of England, so they pumped money out. So the Bank of England, which uh, uh, had its own problem, but the Fed introduced easy money. It's just a lie that there was tight money and that caused the uh, Great Depression. So I stopped because I want to give you a chance. Uh, so any questions? Yeah. Maybe a pra practical question on this and I think we all agree on you've just summed up here um, Basically, gold is the arch enemy of paper money, and by this interest tool, because it influences interest. Actually, this is what uh, Greenspan uh, said already in 1962. He too said, um, we all know that this quote, uh, that basically the state would have to um, well, prohibit the ownership of gold <laughs> um, if it became too powerful. Basically, this is what happened since 1971. So, a practical question: um, If future, in the future, states or governments decided again to uh, to to ban, to abolish uh, gold from free trading, uh, is there anything we can do against that? Is there, is there anything that we can do if they decide to um, abolish free market trading of gold? It is to be expected, isn't it? Oh. Um, there is, uh, I have, a, at least I have a problem with this concept of free market in gold. I don't consider, I don't consider the present marketing gold free. Not because a lot of people say that there is uh, paper gold competing with real gold and, and the government is behind the scenes, is manipulating gold. It's not because of that. I don't believe in a fluctuating gold price because I think if there is complete freedom in the market, gold will become money, and there will be no paper money to compare it with. So this idea of a free market which makes the gold price fluctuate is, is, is wrong. What would happen is that uh, the the government would establish a mint and open the mint to gold and also to silver, but let's talk about gold here. And this idea of fixing the gold price is, is, is nonsense, or f either fixing or letting it vary. This is, people are in charge 
And if they think that there's too little money in circulation, they can do something about it. They, the gold mines will take more gold to the mint and, and have it coined. And other people who don't have gold mines might just uh, scurry through the attic and find old jewelry which they don't need anymore and they take it to the mint or melt it, melt it down and refine it to the uh, required uh, purity and convert it into gold coins. And conversely, if there are people who think that there's too much money in circulation, there's something they can do about it, the gold mines will reduce their output and people will take fewer recycled gold jewelry or whatever to the mint and even they could export gold and gold coins from the country. So according to the US Constitution and according to this ideal it's the people who have the right to regulate the quantity of money in circulation and they do that through the mint where they can take their gold bullion convert it into gold coins so and that I would call a free gold market this uh, usage of the word does not coincide with the average uh, I, the, the, the idea people have about this because they think a, a free gold market is one where you can bid high prices higher or you can uh, uh, sell enough so the prices go down but that to my mind is not a free gold market a free gold market is when no interference from any source, especially not the government and the banks, and then uh, people will create the new money by taking gold to the government. Well, why government? Mean that a lot of people would have a problem with that. But I'm happy to say that if we have to have a judicial system, a judiciary, and the government need to change the people who decide how much money there should be in circulation but obviously there has to be an umpire just like a judiciary is an umpire and it stands to reason that the government can uh, create that judiciary maintain the courts and the uh, attorneys and so on. Uh, the, the same way the government would maintain highways, keeping them in good repair and levy taxes to 
pay for these repairs. In the same way, it's natural that the government establishes a mint, as the U.S. Constitution did. The U.S. Constitution did not establish a central bank, Federal Reserve, didn't. That's no accident either. The government had to have, by the con mandate of the Constitution, had established a mint and keep it open to gold and silver. That's all. And then the government steps back and let the market do the rest. So that's, that's the way it is. If they, if they confiscate your gold, you can buy silver. <laughs> and if they confiscate that, you can buy copper. <laughs> Rudy? If they confiscate copper, you can buy Tide detergent. That's the latest thing in the U.S. Tide detergent is being hoarded, and the theft of Tide detergent is starting to rise. So one of the professor's statements was, when you can't hoard gold, you hoard something else. And don't ask me why it's Tide detergent. <laughs> Browse the internet and you'll find out about it. Google that. There you go. Tide theft. <laughs> um, are there any more, any more questions? I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it a day for the morning lecture. Um, so thanks very, uh, thanks very much, Professor, and we'll Thank see you, you after lunch. I'm, I'm lecturing after lunch. Oh. <laughs>